welcome again to the podcast, and it's Dave Lawton here, introducing our dear friend David Watson as we go into our third week of our holiday series, going back into the vaults and drawing from the training that David Watson did with us in 2016. In this training, we're going to be talking about the values that lie behind discovery and how important it is to understand the core values that are running on. In the West, uh, we need to be builders of community. We've been discussing in Australia how we need to create discipleship communities of which people who are not really connected in community can come in and join and being a catalyst for multiplication. And it really sparks some thoughts here for the need of participation and uh, for people to actually join something that they go, ah, oh, I can see what you're talking about here. So if you already know about the Discovery Group processes, allow David's insight into the DNA behind it to perhaps refine how you're going about starting groups and uh, it might just help you be unstuck. Enjoy this podcast, The Values Behind Discovery Groups by David Watson. Yeah, your minimum unit of evangelism is a group, whether it's a family or affinity group or work team or whatever it might be, your minimum unit of using the tools that I'm giving you is three to eight people, maybe sometimes more. We actually showed up at one house recently, and the lady had called all of her relatives, and she had nine children. So there were 45 people in the room when we showed up. And, and they, within, within eight weeks, they were at church. They, they had pushed through very quickly. They were running ahead of us. It was just the Lord who said, this is for you. And, and they took it and ran with it. Uh, but keep thinking. A person is a doorway to a group. Every person you meet is a member of multiple groups. And the question is, which of those groups is that person open to talk about spiritual matters? And, and you want to you want to flow those things back in through that person to meet that group, figure out who the leader of that group is, and then equip them to facilitate meetings. And I don't allow my teams to do any personal discovery Bible studies with a lost person. An individual is not your target audience. Uh, If you you do individual work, you'll never see replication and you will not see broad addition to your work. You might as well stick to whatever evangelism tool you were using before. Uh, This is about changing how you do ministry and recognizing that people learn ministry by doing it and therefore if you're doing ministry for them, they never learn it. You have to do ministry with them. The discovery group is your evangelism process using the discovery Bible study. The discovery group is an evangelism process. Later it becomes your your worship and care process. You don't change this when you get to church. When you become a church, you just start adding other dimensions to it. But in this, we're trying to get to the basic dimensions of the basic core values of church, starting from the day one with lost people. So they they don't even know they're doing it. So what are you thankful for this week uh, leads us to prayer and worship. And as they become believers, you you expand on what are you thankful for is 
how do we show gratitude to God for what we're thankful for, for our salvation, for the life He's given us? Uh, how do we how do we recognize God for who He is in the worship side and and the prayer? Then the next one is what are your struggles or what are the struggles of others in our community? And this leads to intercessory prayer and ministry. And you notice it's what are your struggles and what are the struggles of others in our community? It's looking inside and outside that group. Uh, we had a uh, we had a group that I was part of, and one of the members of the group, uh, his brother-in-law's friend, so it was really disconnected. They had a preemie baby, and the the neonatal care unit was 400 kilometers from their home. And so just the fuel they were burning going back and forth to the hospital was more than their budgets could bear. And it was separating the family. The wife was staying all the time at the hospital and the husband was staying at home and trying to work. And, and I just, just asked the question. I said, how can we help with this? What's the basic need? Well, the basic need was money for fuel. So, and then I told this guy, contact your friend and ask him how much they need to maintain this for however long. Turned out that the baby was going to be in the hospital for two to three months, and they said, you know, uh, you know, twelve, thirteen hundred dollars for three months of fuel would, would really help us a lot because they're like many people; they're living right on the edge of you lose one paycheck and you're you're in the soup uh, type of life, and uh, and that group right there took up that that twelve hundred dollars and wired it to them that same day. And no one, none of us knew them. It was the friend of a friend who had this issue that they were talking about. But those are, those are the kind of things you start seeing happening is that people, when they recognize they can help, often will. Unless they're just really mean people. But if they're seeking God, they're probably not really mean people. They're probably basically good people who just don't know how to live you know, with God. Um, is there some way we can help those who are struggling? That's the ministry side we talked about outside. So even from the beginning, this group, while it's still lost, is ministering to the community. Yeah, Sally's having a baby, but the doctors put her in bed rest and she can't cook for her children and she can't cook for her husband or clean the house. How can we help? We cook meals. We go we go clean Sally's house. And and, and even then, and, and what happens is, is this, this lost family here is absolutely amazed that these other people came to help and cooked food and cleaned house and did laundry, uh, often watching the children while the husband continues working so that they don't, they don't lose income, uh, those kind of things. So the ministry side can be very simple. It, it can be very complex. Uh, we, we've, seen, we've seen groups drill wells and dig wells. Uh, all kinds of things will come out of this, and it's that whole point of how do you how do you get to the place of dealing with uh, the struggles that people have. And then the next question: With whom did you share what you learned last week? That's about evangelism and replication. Now, your first meeting, you don't ask this question because they don't have anything to share. But after the first meeting, this becomes a normal position of who did you share with uh, last week, what you learned. And, and, and you set up an understanding that evangelism is not a task that you have to win. 
Evangelism is not a task you have to win. It's not a competition. It's reaching out and loving people. And you're, you're talking to them. You're sharing what you're learning. And when you're sharing what you're learning, you're not asking them to do anything. You're just sharing what you're learning. And so, for instance, in, in the steps that run up to a church getting started or a group getting started is I start out being conspicuously spiritual. And and those and those are with and that's not using Christian terminology. I'm spiritual in the sense I want to know my creator and I want to live in a way that honors the creator of our universe. That's what I mean by spiritual. I want to honor him and how I live and how I speak and the things that, that I do in my family. And, and I express those to people as I'm walking through, whether I'm helping them or, or just greeting them. I want to do it in such ways that it identifies me as a person that, is, that knows God and is, is seeking to serve God. Hunting for persons of peace is often very difficult. But when you're a spiritual beacon, they find you. And that's just the reality that when you when you work with people and you become the spiritual person, they 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 bring up a problem. They say, "Do you mind if I pray for you?" And, and they they say they've got something that they need help with. They say, "Do you mind if I help you?" I think God has put me here to help you. And it's always about just acknowledging God. I am so thankful for this beautiful day that God's given us. See, that's a spiritual statement. It's not a weather statement. It's a spiritual statement. And the first thing I did when I walked out this morning is I said, man, thank you, God, for such a beautiful day. Yesterday was was lovely for those of us who grew up in the desert. But this sun is nice, too. Yeah. But, uh, so... This whole idea of evangelism and replication is not a forced issue if you're doing the things you're supposed to do. If you're talking to people about what you're learning, if you're reaching out to them and caring for them, uh, if you, when they show a spiritual interest, you begin to get them involved in a process of their oikos, starting a, a discovery Bible study group like the one you're, you're talking about right now. And that's just natural. And then that next question, how did you apply or how did you obey what you learned last week? What did you do about the lesson we learned last week? Did you do anything personal in response to it? And that leads to an understanding that, that the relationship of God to draw near to Him requires a step of obedience. And here's the counter to that. When people start obeying God, they will get to know Him. See, the promise is, if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. Do you think that's only for believers? See, we often think because that's that's only for Christians. But think about that first century church when that was written. And they were expanding the kingdom incredibly fast. I mean, within, within five generations, everyone on the planet had knew something about these Christians. In, a, in an age where communication was measured in months, months, not even days or weeks, or certainly not hours, in months. And when you live out this life, and you get people to live out this life, 
it changes. Uh, I got a, a note this week, someone asking, if you were if you were going to take over a, uh, a prison, what would you do? I said, well, the first thing is behavior of the prisoners to one another. So how about every day we start out the day reading one verse of Scripture that says, you know, help one another, bear one another's burdens, and, and go through the one another passage, just putting those in their thinking. And then at the pod level, you have your guards asking the question, how can we do what the warden said today? How can we help each other? And, and you, you're building community. See, when you... When you care, people stop being objects and they start becoming community. And that's, that's a part of what we have to do. Particularly in the modern world, in urban settings, we have to build communities. They may not be there. I mean, there's so many people in the modern world, they go to work, they work their hours, they come home, they don't need anything. And, and they don't even leave their families. When they get home, they, they watch telly or go to a sporting event or whatever they do, but there's no sense of real community. The husband and the wives have different friends. They don't have couples who are friends. They just have different friends because of where they work and, and their lifestyle. So you have all these disjointed people and they don't have a clue how to live in community. And part of this process is taking people who may know each other and take them from just knowing each other to becoming a community. So that's the opening part of the Discovery Group. Then you go into the Discovery Bible Study part of it, which is the study of the Word. And this can be done orally, and it can be done written. Uh, I usually use both approaches in Western culture where people do read and write. But if someone's resisting writing, and then I, you know, I love to do it orally. I don't, it, don't get tied up on the details of this, guys. Understand the principle of what you're doing. The principle is focus on Scripture, not human opinion. And, and that's the primary principle. We want to hear from God. We don't want to hear from, from everyone in the group their opinion. What is God saying to us? So for pre-believers, we will start with creation and work our way through the Bible to Christ. And if I'm dealing with believers, which they become, they become believers, then we start looking at the commands of Christ. What is, what, how does God want you to live in relationship to Him and relationship to other people? Then after you've read that verse or you've written that verse or those few verses, then how would you say this in your own words as if you were trying to explain it to a friend at work or to a playmate or to a child? Pick your metaphor. But it's about, can, do you know this passage well enough? We've read it enough and talked about it enough that you can explain it to another person in a way that they understand it. Which demonstrates your understanding of the Scripture. And it prepares you to share that. Remember, we've got to go back to that first verse again. Who did you share this with? It prepares you to share it. You don't have to pull out your Bible to share. They don't have to pull out a Bible to share. Nothing intimidates a non-believer, and it intimidates me too. And the first thing a guy when he walks up to me, he yanks his Bible out and starts saying, we're going to talk about, let me show you what I want to talk about. I mean, really, this, this is about keeping things very, very simple. And when people start piling on to Scripture from previous knowledge or what Aunt, Aunt Hattie had to say about it, 
that you know you you've got to say no. Look, look. Let's just keep this simple. What is this? What is this scripture simply saying? And how do we simply obey it? How are we going to respond to it? It is human nature for all of us to show other people how smart we are. <laughs> we want to be thought of as brilliant, and we want to be thought of as as people who know things, and. Nothing shuts down a group faster than a leader who knows everything. Just shuts the group down. I mean, why should I have an opinion? He's got every opinion that's ever been thought. <laughs> and, it, and it shuts it down. So you, you have to learn how to play dumb in a sense of keep your mouth shut and let people talk. And that's one of the reasons I don't want you in these meetings, the early meetings. Because you can't keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Not a one. I just know from 30 plus years of experience that when a Christian leads a group, they end up teaching the group instead of letting the group discover what God is saying from the passages. You really have to think through. Generational work requires everyone to participate. And if your leadership style shuts down participation, you will not see generational work. You won't find your next batch of leaders that take it to another generation because they get hidden over by the stronger early leaders. Early adopters are usually strong leaders. They, they're thinkers. They, they adopt early because they've already spun out where this is going to go for them. And... and you got to be careful with these, the, this thing of coaching them and doing the DBS with them, that Discovery Bible Study System, going through this, what we're going through right now with them, because then they just take it in and they're the expert and they teach it. See, look how smart I am. That's human nature. They're not thinking that. It's just human nature. If we know something that someone else doesn't know, we either withhold it to demonstrate our power or we give it to demonstrate our, 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 our ability to think and know things. And, and that's what knowledge does. When you withhold it, it's a power issue. When you demonstrate that you're the one that knows everything, it's, you know, look how brilliant I am. It's a pride thing. It's an ego thing. And so in, when, you, when we set up these systems, we set them up intentionally to bring down that, that clever person who, who thinks he knows everything and, and, and bring up to discussion level everyone else that's in the room. And your facilitator has to be able to, to control that happening in the group. And, and when you run around it or run with it, you're going, to have to, you're going to have to figure it out. And if your facilitator is the one doing it, sometimes you have to change facilitators. That's never a happy day, let me tell you. That's usually not a happy day. But this, this understanding that I, I go in and I'm doing ministry for access... And, and in that access, I'm going to meet a person or persons, but usually a person, and we start chatting, and we get to the place where I will say to them, and I'm doing discovery with them orally, they just don't know it. I'm, I'm introducing scripture and saying, what, how do you understand this scripture? What do you think this says? And then, if this is from God, what do we have to do about it? Then I make it, you know, it's us, it's not just you, it's us, we're working on this together. And, and 
I said, you know, now you need to talk to your family and see what they would do about this. Let's, then next week we're going to, I'd like to hear next time we're together what your family does. So it's very informal. It, it's nothing structured. You're just popping them in occasionally and, and see where it goes. Well, if it starts building and they're asking you more and more, and you get invited to family, to meet family, you get invited to group sessions, and you start sharing with everybody. You know everybody. You're a friend of everybody. And you may find that the guy who got you into the group may not be the leader of the group. And you identify the leader of the group, and you start working with that person. You don't give up on the other guy. You're just working with the person that's obviously the spiritual leader of the group. And at some point, it rises to a place that they're ready for a formal study. And they always want you to do it. They always do David, would you, would you do this with us? I said, you know what? My schedule is really, really packed. And I can meet with you for 25, 30 minutes and show you how to do it, but then you're going to have to do it yourself. Now, who do you want me to show how to do it? Now, I'll almost always point to the spiritual leader in the family or the group and say, and so they come, and on the day of their meeting, I will meet, I'll pick them up at lunch or whatever and just spend some time and literally in 20 minutes, we go through the process. Process only, not content. Process. Because the point I was trying to say is how do we help a group be proto-church? Proto-church. It will become church. And it's like church. And, and that's, that's the... And... and See, one of, the, one of the issues we all have to recognize is that most of the New Testament is about prototypical situations. We don't do church the same way they did in the first century. We do church that's good for us. Now, it's interesting. We go into missions now. We want people to do our style of church because it's good for them. We don't recognize that it's proto. The reason it's proto is because every culture has to develop its own response of love and worship and care in their context because if you look at worship it's the most cultural thing you've ever seen I mean, even how you pray uh, I, I love pointing out the groups why do, you, why do you close your eyes and bow your head when you pray show me one scripture in all the Bible that says that it's not there so why do we do it culture and whoever started it I wish they had it just, and the reason I say that is, is because when you bow your head and pray with a lost person, you lose the eye contact and you lose the compassion you have for that person by shutting down. You literally are shut. Think about it. When a kid doesn't want to listen to you, what do they do? <laughs> they squeeze your eyes shut. Sometimes. The, <laughs> and, and, and what we've done is we close our eyes and we do the la 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 before them so they don't think they want we got to open our eyes and look at people and show them you care and, and dialogue in prayer hey you said something earlier about Mabel I don't quite remember I may remember it but see I want to engage them in the process the whole thing is you're, you're teaching people by engaging them and doing these things with them. And, and that's, a, that's a really important aspect to understand is that everything we do 
is about engaging and equipping others to do the same thing. And so if prayer, if particularly intercessory prayer is about you standing with a person before God and asking God to hear our prayer. And, and when I do intercession, I will stop and, and lost prayer say, is there anything else you'd like for me to bring before the throne of God today? And it's amazing. And they'll start to say, I say, you know, you really, you know, God can hear you as well as he can hear me. Go ahead and just say it and you say it to and, and they'll start, well, what do I say? I said, just say what you need is. I need more money to feed my family. I said, that's good. And, and then I mentioned, you know why we say amen in prayers? That's a dependence on God to do what we've asked. May it be, Father, what we've asked. And we're depending on Him when we say amen. We're, we're depending on Him to answer these prayers. Now, here's your correction statement. People always ask you, well, what are you going to do about heresy? Well, here's one thing I promise you. Every heresy has a theologian's name attached to it. Every one of them went to school. And usually theological education of their time and era. And and. And they, they took people away from the Word to follow them. It's, it was an ego issue. And, they, and it resulted in these heretical activities that destroyed many, many lives. Lost people don't come up with heresy. They don't know enough to come up with heresy. <laughs> so what you do, you, you, we put a corrective system in here that when someone significantly misstates anything important, just ask the question, where did you get that from this passage? And guess what happens when leaders mistake, mistake when you're working this process? The members will ask you, where are you getting that from this passage? And that's what you want to see happen. You want to see a, an accountability that's very, very flat. That And, and no hierarchies in this system. We're, we're all standing on level ground in front of the cross. Now, here's some other action questions you want to ask. Is What does this passage teach us about God? So in that oral session, that one-minute Bible study, what does this teach us about God? Or what does this tell us about God? And what does it tell us about man or teach us about man? So it's understanding and knowing God. It's also understanding our relationship with God. What does it tell us about man? Uh, we're separate from Him because, I mean, Noah... The story of Noah is not a children's story. It is a horror story. It is absolutely a horror story. And it's a story about God's judgment and about God's redemption at the same time. He gave everyone an opportunity, hundreds of years, to listen to Noah and change what they were doing. And they chose not to. And then finally, God says, enough's enough. I'm shutting the door. Get in the boat. We're leaving and and just the whole understanding that there is there is a time when God stops reaching out to us. There is a time when that happens. And I'm not sure when that time is going to be. I'm sure that after hundreds of years of watching Noah build an ark, he and his sons and family, they thought it was they could laugh at it, it's never going to happen. Then it happened. Going from there. 
So if this is from God, how would we have to obey that obedience have? Who will you share this with? That's again evangelism replication. As you share, they'll want to join the existing group. The answer to that is no. The group is already formed, it's already down the road of ways, but we will we will join you and help you start a new group. So you have some family and friends come together and I'll coach you now. And, and get another group started. And we've had as many as 17 new groups started for one group and 17 first generation groups started for one group before they became believers. Then after believers, we started seeing generations of work come out of that, that one group that we started with.